This is Dev Propulsion Labs, the podcast about building successful developer tools, hosted by Evil Martians. Hi, it's Dev Propulsion Labs, and I'm your host, Victoria Melnikova. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. Please meet Peter Richelson, co-founder at Cal.com. Before we dive into the questions, I want to share the story of how we met, because I think it's it's a very... Uh, interesting attestment to your character. So basically we were looking for a scheduling solution for our website and as big fans of open source and avid, you know, contributors to open source, we have always looked up to Cal.com because it's an open source, you know, scheduling solution. And naturally we had this question that I think many users face, whether, you know, whether to use Calendly or Cal.com or the other way around. So I asked that question on Twitter and Pierre actually engaged with me on Twitter and, you know, was kind enough to propose doing a demo. And one of the things that we were particularly interested in was the round robin functionality where a couple of people shared their calendars and they're all able to kind of share the common responsibility of being scheduled for something. So in our mm-hmm. situation, it was the the sales calls and Pierre gave us a demo, which was amazing. So we're excited to implement it. And, and there's some, you know, cool things that you can do with Cal.com that you can do with other solutions, but we'll probably get into that a little bit later. So, you know, this being said, I'm curious to learn, how do you end up here? Tell us about the story of creating Kel.com. What was that light bulb moment? <laughs> that sure. Yeah. No. I I think it's um it's one of those stories where you you end up building something you need for yourself, and I think that's always a very good way to start a, a, a project. You're your first customer. <laughs> it's really hard to anticipate what people need and want. So before Kel.com, I was um, running a remote hiring marketplace called LeanHire.com. And the problem we ran into is that we were using um, Calendly as a scheduling solution for the marketplace, right? So you have contractors and you have companies Mm -hmm. looking for talent. And what we did is in the onboarding screen, when you make your account, we would ask people to copy paste in their link, right? Their Calendly link. And for some people that worked fine, um, but for the vast majority, we didn't have any insights whether the booking happened or they had copied the wrong link or they forgot to whatever upgrade or some other issues. And as a marketplace provider, you have a really like low margin of error. And um, very quickly, we well, I realized that like I need something that I can control more, that I can you know um, host on my own platform, that I'm like don't depend on third parties. And I went basically in Google search for Calendly open source alternative, because that's kind of like in my mind, that's what I needed and couldn't find a single project, nothing, Uh, only a couple Reddit and Hacker News and forums Mm -hmm. that were like asking for the same solution. (laughs) If you reach that point as an entrepreneur, you you typically have like this tingle in in the back of your brain where you're like, hey, I I think more people need this and why, why should I not like just start that? Interestingly enough, I then launched like a landing page with all the description with like what I'm trying to achieve and, and the roadmap, you know, like very early stage with a wait list. I highly do recommend like whenever you have an idea, just chip it out with a wait list, see what people say, um, or just a contact form or a cal.com book me button. (laughs) (laughs) 
But uh, yeah, just basically get it out of the door as quick as you can. And what's funny enough is I didn't work on it then for about seven months because very quickly after, I think two months after the project um, I posted on GitHub, um, the hiring marketplace got acquired. So I actually joined the Mm -hmm. acquiring company and uh, joined as head of product and worked there for seven-ish months um, in full time. And I was like, I don't want to work. Like, I don't want any distractions. I need to, you know, focus full time Mm -hmm. on this uh, new company. And so I didn't work, I didn't write a single line of code, nothing for like seven months and people kept signing up for the wait list. Right. So I get like every month I get a daily, uh, every month I get a monthly digest of like 300 new people joined your wait list. I'm like, what am I going to do with this? You know, like <laughs> like I, I have this job and it's a great job and I don't want to, you know, um, just leave it, you know, with, um, all the perks uh, of the acquisition. And, um, I actually reached out to people on Twitter and people in my network of like, Hey, does anyone want to take this over? Like, just like, give me 10% of the incorporate company or something. I don't, I don't mind, but like, here's something you can like get, get going. And Twitter was a dead end. Uh, my network was a dead end. So I actually ended up emailing everyone on the wait list, right? Like I just sent this, this blurb out to the wait list. I, I should probably post that at some point on Twitter. Um, where it's like, Hey, I'm, I don't think I'm going to continue working on this project, but if anyone wants to take over, please like shoot me a message. And I think about five or 10 people, I don't remember, like reached out to me. Um, and, uh, I think the first person is actually now my co-founder. And also <laughs> I, tried, I, I, I took calls with, with everyone and, and Bailey was just crushing it. And I think I paid him for like a month or two as a contractor, just to like get to know each other and work together. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty obvious that he's, he's the right fit. Um, and so after I think two or three months, we, we launched, um, on product hunt, it went crazy <laughs> just like yesterday, the yeah. um, product of the day again, I think it's our fourth or no sixth award now on product hunt. So, uh, just, yeah, it's been, it's been a crazy journey since then. It's crazy because you kind of breezed through the stages that a lot of people struggle with, you know, like how to get your first customers, how to get your co-founder, <laughs> how yeah. to get your like first initial marketing for you. It happened so organically because there was a natural product market fit, you know, yeah. people really needed that solution. It's a, um, it's an interesting, you know, um, so I've been in doing startups for 10, 11 years. Right. So like, I think when you get that to that point, you have a really good instinct of like what mm-hmm. type of people you want to work with, what, type of things customers want. And so lots of these decisions are like, oh yeah, of course, this is going to be my co-founder. Like after two months of working with someone, you're like, yeah, like if you, it's 60 days of intense work, right? Like if you have like a back and forth, it's like you, 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 I mean, you don't know everything, but you know enough to, to jump into it. Um, there's a bit, a little bit of contra- controversy. I think um, a lot of startup advice is around like, start a company with someone who you've known for 10 years or so, like Mm -hmm, your friend mm -hmm. or the person you went to uni. I think there's many examples where that's actually decremental as well, um, because you may let something slide because it's your friend. You you may not have the most confrontating conversations, right? Like Mm -hmm. you really need to have, you know, these level one, level two, level three conversations with your co-founders. And I'm afraid that some people just are too nice when they are friends and it, it's not always nice. You have to have tough conversations. You shouldn't be co-founding with the first person on the street, but if you 
de-risk it and you work together for a couple of weeks or months and you share the same values. The first thing we did, me and Bailey, was we wrote a Google Docs outlining the shared visions and values. Like, mm-hmm. How do we want to work? Is this going to be a company with 10,000 employees or maybe a hundred? Is this going to be bootstrapped? Is this going to be VC funded? Do we want to have a small, nice cash flow business or do we want to connect a billion people? And you really just want to make a vibe check, right? And and have like this, almost like this shared value contract where every time someone steps out of line, you know, and goes like, why don't we do this? And then you're like, well, this kind of conflicts with our shared values. Mm-hmm. And you go back to the drawing board and you'd be like, why, why are we making this decision, right? So um, mm-hmm. when I was starting out, I really hated all these like mission and vision things. I, I thought this was like, corporate bullshit for people to, you know, keep their jobs. But honestly, I think every decision we've made in the past always goes back to kind of like the mission of connecting a billion people, right? So you walk your way backwards. Like if you have a mission of connecting a billion people, that very likely requires funding, right? It's really, Mm -hmm. really hard to bootstrap yourself there. All right, cool. Mm -hmm. Funding. What type of fundings do I have? I have VC funding, I have angel funding, I have loans, all right, cool. We probably want to build a large, large enterprise, which very likely requires venture funding. Cool. All right, let's go raise some funding, right? You really need to work your way backwards instead of like waking up one day, oh, I want to run a VC funded business. What's your idea? I don't know. Right? Like if that's your way of thinking, you're in, a, in, in big trouble. So yeah, definitely start with the vision, mission and values and, and then work your way backwards. Interesting. I mean, you also have this challenge, but also the benefit of doing it open source, right? I mean, it is beneficial and it probably worked greatly for you in terms of marketing as well, but it also has its challenges. What were the main challenges in building it as open source software? I think it's not really, it's hard to compare, right? Like, I think we try to compare closed source to open source, but the truth is that everything's different. It's almost like a parallel universe, you know, where people have sausages as fingers, like it's, it's very <laughs> different. So you can't really say what's better or worse. Um, I think what's different is you have a lot more stakeholders. You have like, mm-hmm. we have, I mean, just contributors, we have 400 something contributors, right? You have thousands of people in a discord, you have um, hundreds of businesses that depend on your software with update cycles and release tags. And and, and so there's a, a very, very different playbook and go to market strategy and different ways to monetize, like the business of monetizing a license, let's say selling a, an on-premise service is, is very different to a, a pure SaaS subscription where you mm-hmm. put in your credit card. And so, to be honest, I've only built closed source businesses in the past, and, and now it's my first open source journey. And uh, I, I don't even think I want to ever not build an open source project. Like I, yeah. I've also only invested in open source projects ever since then, because it, to me, I'd rather be in, in that universe than in, in, in the previous one or in the, in the different one. Uh, I feel most comfortable with, um, I have the highest level of accountability. Everything's public. Uh, you don't need to go all to the extreme. We have salaries open. We have our playbook open. You don't have to, but it does feel more natural to my character, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Uh, I mean, and you're also, you've mastered working with the community. You are very active on Twitter, X, whatever. Uh, it's very public face in everything that you do. You know, you're not shy to 
jump on a demo call with somebody from, you know, who is just <laughs> using your tool. So it's pretty, pretty awesome how it fits your personality really well. You also mentioned the, the fundraising journey. I want to come back to that for a second because, uh, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Raise money from a VC. It's not as easy in real life. And your fundraising journey is quite impressive. You've raised over, I don't know, 32 million in two years, something like that. It's like a sizable number. Uh, can you share some insights from your fundraising journey? And did you ever have this kind of like, did this just happen moments in that journey? Yeah. Um, I think whatever I'm about to say probably does not apply for most people. Uh, I don't think there's any shortcut or any magical pill. Um, I think, you know, when you're in, in, any, in any industry for 10 years, you know, most people like it's, it's not a large industry. Uh, so if you, and then I, I did um, Y Combinator in 2019. So that also increases your net, your network. Um, mm -hmm. We were very fortunate just to be very honest. And I don't want to make this up, but like we were raising at probably the hottest market in, in the last 20 years. <laughs> so like that we, that we raise at uh, great terms. Yes. That we had hundreds, literally hundreds of people trying to invest in the company. Also true, right? Like it's, it's very different than today. I think you can still, I mean, we see very hot rounds still, and we even for us, we get inbound for investors to invest in the next round. So like, I think if you have a really good product, you can still pull it off. I think a generic fundraising advice is build a really good product and get traction. <laughs> <laughs> I know this sucks, but Sounds um, very easy. Here's the thing. People always think they need millions in the bank to get going. You really don't need much. First off, people hate this idea of like, I'm a, I'm an idea person, but you really need to have a good idea. Like the idea is worth nothing in the beginning, but if you have a shitty idea and you throw money at it, it's still going to be like shit covered in gold. Right? <laughs> so yes, idea is important. Don't ignore everyone who says idea is not important. Idea is important. Like idea is the substance of product market fit. The product market fit is the idea times product. And if the idea is zero, whatever product you're building, it's not going to take off. I think test your idea as cheap as you can, you know, with a landing page and a wait list that costs you nothing. It's cheaper than Netflix. Mm -hmm. ChatGPT helps you with copywriting. Um, there's so many tools nowadays. Cal.com is free for bookings. Um, there's email services with free credits. So yeah, um, try to get as far as you can without fundraising, really just ignore the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then build a product that gains traction. And once you, once you have something people want to buy, both as a customer, you automatically have people who also want to invest, right? Like it's that simple and you want to be in a position where you have a fancy car that people want to buy and not a shitty car that you're trying to sell, right? Like it's really, really hard to sell something that's bad. Yeah. And it's, it's all, so much easier mm -hmm. to have like a super well oiled machine where people are like, hell yeah, I, I, I would love to join this. As I said earlier, go backwards from your mission. Like, do you really want to raise VC funding? Are you able to bootstrap? Are you able to do indie? Maybe there's a government grant. Maybe there's some other ways. Maybe there's loans, right? Maybe you can get alone for like 10 grand from your family, parents, whatsoever combined, like 1K each, mm -hmm. you know, 
whatever makes whatever is required. Um, there are ways to to get there. And then the only advice I give to people who want to raise VC funding is you have to build a large organization. You need to have those incentives aligned with your stakeholders and shareholders, mm -hmm. right? Like, I think the stupidest idea is if someone is willing to sell a business for five million or somewhat, that's great. That's great money. But like, don't raise your first round at 10 million if you would be fine selling for five, because now you have like this conflict of interest and, and kind of like conflict of incentives as well. Um, and it's so much easier to have everyone in your back to be fully powering your mission than mm -hmm. to say one thing to one person to, you know, raise some money and then, but then go all the other way. Right. So, yeah. And I read this on Twitter all the time where people are like, oh, don't raise whatever this valuation, that valuation, because then you can't sell at a lower valuation. If you make that decision, you need to be well aware. Yeah, I'm not going to sell at this. Why would I? Like, I, I want to build something large, right? Like, if this is not going to go large, I'm going to build something else that's going to be large, or I'm going to make a pivot. You know, if, God forbid, um, Cal.com doesn't work out in a year. We still keep the company afloat. We make a pivot and we build uh, another large organization, right? Mm -hmm. So. I think it's not the end of the world to be in one lane as long as you make that decision to go that way. Um, and many, many doors will close if you double down on one door and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Interesting. It's quite, quite a balance to maintain uh, over the years. You have to be really set on the idea, right? To keep on, on the journey and to, to remain strong throughout the years. Uh, speaking of product, you guys do stand out amongst other developer tools because of the beautiful designs, right? I mean, it's not just beautiful, it's also convenient. So UX and UI both are very strong for Cal.com. We kind of care a lot about product design for developer tools. We know it's very tough. It's a very mm. tough kind of thing to master. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Why do you put so much emphasis on the beauty and the convenience of it, what helps in making it visually appealing? Yeah, I think you want to have like these narrative violations where if you think of open source, I'd say 99% of the products are just look not so good. It's always like a cheaper knockoff. It's a cheaper version of something. It's a poorly designed version. And the reason is very obvious. There's very rarely one director's cut version, like one story. It's typically, if you think of freemium open source, it's like a bunch of people everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Merging things and there's no clear red line, no direction, no, no story. And you end up having like this patchwork where one person puts a button on the left and then the next one puts it on the right. I mean, you don't have the consistency that you have from like a very small committed team. Mm -hmm. um, so I think what we wanted to do very early on is honestly just build the most well-designed open source organization. Doesn't even depend on calendar, like could be anything else, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that is a narrative violation when you think of traditional open source and, and it makes mm -hmm. you more attractive. It's like, oh, this is open source, but nice. Like we hear this all the time. It's like, wow, this is a house is open source. Like this looks so good, you know? And, and, and I think you want to have this effect. First thing we did was I think the first or second hire was a designer because 
Um, I think design is very underappreciated in open source. It's it's a very developer focused community, mm -hmm. right? It's Git, GitHub is not well known for designers at all. And so we worked with a freelancer very early on and we ended up um, hiring in full time as our head of product, right? Mm -hmm. So that decision that every product decision goes through design, you know, is a very important one. Ultimately, I'm, I love product. I, I would consider myself the, the product lead in the team almost where I do most of the roadmaps and prioritization and, and uh, final design and, and launch. So probably I'd say 60, 70% of everything we launch goes over my table and, and I leave my final mark on it um, for consistency. So even open source contributions, I work with most contributors. If they open a PR, I help them explain our design system. I help them move the button from left to right. And uh, just to, to you know um, keep this community open, but also aligned right on the same values and design systems. Yeah. How do you manage your time? I mean, <laughs> it takes a lot of work. <laughs> if you, if you do something a lot, you get really faceted. Like I can probably mm -hmm. review 20, 30 tickets, like issues in like an hour. So one per minute. Mm -hmm. I have good bookmarks. So like, um, I, I'm using arc. And so on the left, I have like mm -hmm. Tickets that need prioritization, um, approved PRs, but that are not merged or, um, high priority tickets that are undersigned, right? So these type of filters. Um, and, and then I'm using, um, refined GitHub. I think it's called. It's like a browser extension that just gives you a lot more, um, like tools for GitHub. Mm -hmm, so there's mm -hmm. a button that says like open all links as new tabs and then just go through mm -hmm. them. Like, Open it, write a message, close it. Open it, write a message, close it. Open it, write a message, close it. So I try to do that once or twice a week for like all the open source tickets. And then, yeah, the rest is just talking to the team. And, and I'd say what I try to do is um, give teams direction and then get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Because like I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not the best engineer in the team. I have no clue what's going on. So like you have to trust the team to like ship the right thing. And then every now and then you, you do a check-in. I, I, I try to get the teams to ship a very early version quickly, right? That, that works. Mm -hmm. So we can like then iterate on it, give it to customers, get feedback. Um, we should never get it right on the first try. Never. Speaking of the team, your team is distributed, right? It's spread across the globe. Mm -hmm. How do you manage to keep everybody aligned, enthusiastic? share the same DNA as you guys? I think it's, um, first thing is, um, hiring, you know, you, you want to hire for your culture. Um, it's really hard to, um, change people, uh, in mm -hmm. general during the hiring calls, we focus a lot more on ways of work. You know, this is very, it's a very async first company. It doesn't mean async only we have like calls that are sync. Typically mm -hmm. we try to reduce calls to like less than four, ideally four maximum people. Yeah. Um, we have no recurring meetings, well, no recurring large meetings, no all mm -hmm. hands. Mm -hmm. We are very threat based. So we're using threats.com, which is a Slack alternative, which yeah. really reduces the amount of, uh, group messages. Basically what uh. it means is you have to write like a, a document type of thing and you can close it. You can, um, What's pretty dope is you can have blocks. So you have one block and then you have another block and then people can reply to the first block, right? 
So it's not mm-hmm. a, a sync history of messages like in Slack, where yeah. if you're in a different time zone and you wake up 12 hours after, you're like, oh my God, I missed 200 messages. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot different because you can kind of like reply when it works, right? Like it's not more context-based and less timestamp-based. And that really, really helps. So we have, yeah, people in Hawaii that have a 12-hour time zone difference to me um, sometimes, or, or Bailey Bailey right now is in Hawaii, and, and we have our calls in the evening, but everything else is async, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it has its benefits. You know, you, you have like this global workforce that is always online when there's a P0 outage, anyone can jump mm-hmm. in and help out. Uh, it's like when you have a sync team, that's nine to five, you have like a very large window where no one's working, mm-hmm. nothing's happening. Um, at the same time, we are a global time zone based company. So like we, it's a lot easier to debug things if people are in multiple time zones and it's much easier to, you know, in, internationalize. We have 37 languages, mostly because we have wow. a great community and people speaking multiple languages. I think just inside the team would probably have like, I don't know, five, six, seven languages. Um, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, it has a lot of benefits. I think every now and then you're like, oh man, I wish this person was online right now. I want to call him or somewhat, but those are like edge cases. And if you build the culture correctly, yeah. you have like this, this kickoff meeting where you say, Hey, this is where we want to go. You don't need a lot of check-ins. Right. Um, and for those check-ins that are needed, we use Cal, right? It's super easy. You just schedule a call and you jump on a call and you, you get it done. So yeah, that's kind of like how we work. Interesting. It it's a lot like how we work too, and we're also distributed from like Osaka mm-hmm. to Seattle, so it's also a big, big difference. Huge, time difference. Yeah. So async definitely helps sometimes. Sometimes it it's a challenge, be. but for the most part, it works pretty well. I want to come back to your note. You said that the industry is pretty small, and I have to agree. I think that the, the developer tools industry is maturing still. It's not very big and people mm-hmm. who are doing awesome things are kind of visible in the space. And you have gotten a chance to work with some of them or somehow be connected with them. What was kind of like the best piece of advice that you've gotten from some of the industry prominent figures? Let's put it like that. I think uh, it's always a mix, right? Like you, you, I think um, one one advice we got from one of our investors, Naval Ravikant, was to just make it free. <laughs> he said, you have such a viral product, um, you have to make it free. And mm-hmm. we were like, really? And he's like, yes, make it free. And then we made it free and we haven't looked back. So it's, it's been a very good decision. Um, wow. It's kind of like jumping off a cliff, you know? You just yeah, go one way. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, our, our revenues up, we have great enterprise traction and, and it's, it's, it's growing viral since then. Free is very free, like free, free as in free is very good. <laughs> uh, asking people if, even for a, a dollar to put in their credit card for something is gonna cut your, your base, like yeah. your, your adoption by like 70%. Typically advice is more like a back and forth where you already have somewhat of an idea. You want to get a mm-hmm. confirmation by someone or you want to get, get your idea challenged. I typically send a message to people that are close, close to us. Be like, I want to make this decision. Tell me why this mm-hmm. is stupid. Right. So that, that typically helps. But yeah, on the spot, I don't think there's any, yeah. making it free and was a huge thing for sure. So that, I'd say that's the best one. 
Yeah. And when you come with that kind of a request, do people tend to give their feedback? Is that something that you yeah. see? Yeah, a lot? of course. Yeah. People, people love to get their opinions, give their opinions. <laughs> All right. So as Kyle continues to grow and evolve, you're still on the way to the billion uh, people. What are you most excited about? Do you have some features in the roadmap that you can give us a sneak peek of? Yeah, we did launch Cal.ai yesterday, so it's very fresh off the press. Um, so I think that's something I'm very, very excited about, mostly because I use it myself. Again, same story. Um, what if I could just forward this email to an assistant that I don't have because I don't have an assistant and that person or that AI does it for me. So um very excited about that project. Um, we will probably be investing a decent amount of time and, and energy into making it even better, more possible conversations, more uh, faster responses, um, cheaper. It's quite costly to run. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that because it's, it's, it's almost like a new paradigm of interacting with time mm. and your calendar, um, making it, you know, language based. Yeah. But I think what we always try to do is anytime we build a great consumer facing product, we also want to give access to the developers to build on top mm -hmm. or build integrations or use our API to, you know, inject that into their own product. We we call this Appfra and and um, me and JJ, our seed investor, were like thinking about this for quite a long time where you have kind of like this freemium app and then you monetize the infrastructure where you have mm -hmm. like ChatGPT is an awesome example, right? You have ChatGPT as a free client. Uh, which has some rate limiting and open AI is selling the underlying API infra, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, and they make hella money doing that. So I think this paradigm of, you know, having, building your own infrastructure, but then mm -hmm. being the prime application that's free on your own infra, I think is very important. Sounds amazing. Uh, uh, my last question for you would be, for the developers that are building their own startups or entrepreneurs that are delving into developer tool space, what's one piece of advice apart from building a great product? <laughs> yeah, building Going an open, open build, source. Building a great building a great product is always the first thing. Um, <laughs> don't do paid marketing or somewhat. I don't think that's worth it. Like build a community yeah. of like a hundred people that really love your product. It's not that hard to get a hundred people excited. If your product's good, if your products are good, build a better product and uh, be open source. I mean, I've never met a developer who's like, oh, I hate this is open source. Never. So <laughs> if you want to sell to developers, I think being open source is, is very good. It's a very good strength. Okay. Awesome. So I tend to end these episodes with something I call warm fuzzies. It's a question that I ask all the guests. What makes you feel great about what you're doing right now? So I think the sheer market size, right? Like I, I've mostly built products in niche markets. I mean, my very first product was like for Magic the Gathering, which is a very small niche. Knowing that if we succeed, people book their doctor appointments, their hairdressers, their sales calls, their vaccine appointments, any appointment, your, your government appointment to pick up your passport, your citizen, whatever residency, your lawyers, your like, it's actually insane how many types of people use our product today. Like we, all, all of these mm -hmm. things I mentioned are customers, right? 
um, from yoga teachers to governments. So I think knowing you build something that can really be like internet level infrastructure, um, it's really hard to not be excited about that. <laughs> it makes me excited just listening to that <laughs> speech, you know, because obviously like I'm thinking about a smaller niche about developers, developer tools, but it's actually vast that market. So good for you. Yeah. I want to encourage everybody to try call.com for themselves. Give it a go, you know, uh, see how you like it. And I'm pretty sure you'll be impressed with the, with the product. And do reach so. out to me on Twitter if you have any concerns. I will <laughs> jump on a call. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for this time. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm grateful that you are so nice with your community. You know, it's, oh. it's amazing to see a founder like, like you. Yeah. Thank you, Victoria, for having me. And uh, best of Thank luck you. still using the product and do keep me posted. <laughs> we will. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Ciao. Thank you for catching yet another episode of Dev Propulsion Labs. We at Evil Martians transform growth stage startups into unicorns, build developer tools, and create open source products. If your developer tool needs help with product design, development, or SRE, visit evilmartians.com slash devtools. See you in the next.